If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at American Signature Furniture or designerlooks.com. Is it acceptable to go to Mickey D's just for a drink? (laughs) Of course it is. But good luck leaving with just a drink. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. Experience all the creamy goodness that is a McCafe iced coffee. Try flavors like caramel, French vanilla, and sugar-free French vanilla. Now, get any size for only $1.69. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by our friends Manscaped, the leaders in men's grooming. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from manscaped.com to receive 20% off your entire order and free shipping worldwide. Join the over 2 million men trusting Manscaped with their grooming needs today, like their body wash, 2-in-1 shampoo conditioner, their lawnmower 4.0 groomer, and so much more. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Finding Nemo. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to our show. Anthony here. And James here. We're taking a dive into the ocean with Pixar today. With Finding Nemo, which came out in 2003, one of the best animated films made this century, one of the best of all time, probably, directed by Andrew Stanton and Lee Unkrich, written by Andrew Stanton, Bob Peterson, and David Reynolds on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a 99% critic score, an 86% audience score. IMDb it is an 8.2, is listed at number 154 on IMDb's all-time user rating list, and it won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. I can agree with all those ratings. I think that 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, that's like a standout. And very few films get that. But this was a really big movie for Pixar. This was still early days Pixar. And they had had a couple of Toy Stories. And then they had Monsters, Inc. before this as well. And A Bug's, Life. A Bug's Life. Yeah. But Nemo was their biggest hit at, at that point. It was a massive success. So those movies were making like half a bill. 500, 400, 600 million, but Nemo made almost a billion, made $940 million. So this was a monumental success for Pixar. It really put, it patted the pocket of Steve Jobs <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so finding Nemo, I think, was the cap, the, the nail in the coffin for making him a billionaire um, before he was on, with Apple, really. making became, Before he became a billionaire with Apple, he became a billionaire through Pixar because he was the main investor in the company in its very early days. And Nemo was a standout success and proved that Pixar was really here to stay. It was really changing the game of animation and audiences were flocking to the films and with this kind of movie, really falling in love with the movie. Yeah, it made 10 times its budget at the global box office and its opening weekend was $70 million, which is very high, especially back yeah. in 2003. That's very high. But it ended up grossing almost $400 million in the US and Canada. So it just had like a long run of people going to see it back when people still went to the theaters after the first weekend of movies releases. People were still going every week. And I think what really drew audiences to this film was... Just from the trailer and marketing and clips they released, you could tell that Pixar was putting out something that audiences had never seen before in terms of the aquatic world, uh, being able to see this animated water and ocean, the ocean life and 
the creatures within. And so far, they had done animals, but I think Pixar has always been very wise to avoid cats and dogs with their animated films. Those are like the, if you're going to make an animated movie, I think most people would be like, oh, a dog it's movie. cliche. Yeah, it's super cliche, especially before Pixar was really out there. Lots of cats and dogs movies. And I think that Pixar's genius was they were always pushing the envelope of what they could do. They're always trying to make something unique and make something special that audiences had never seen before. And as their technology was advancing, they were able to expand their animation in great ways. And the ocean and water was a really amazing test and experiment for them to try out. And they pulled it off with flying colors. And it ended up being their first tests were too photorealistic. And it ended up the fish didn't look great next to the water that looked so real. So they actually had to tone it down a little bit after yeah. the first test screening yeah, and everything. They, yeah, they animated oceans, the surface of the ocean water. And it looked they, it looked like real water. Yeah, and revisiting this movie made me very excited for Avatar 2 because the water sequences in that looks absolutely incredible. And mm-hmm. it's so groundbreaking. And this was a groundbreaking animated film as well. And Andrew Stanton pitched his idea and story to Pixar head John Lass in an hour-long session using elaborate visual aids and character voices. At the end of it, an exhausted Stan asked Lasseter what he thought, to which Lasseter replied, you had me at fish. <laughs> and Andrew Stan also did the voice of Crush the Sea Turtle. Stan never intended to do the voice of Crush, only providing the voice for the film's rough cut, but when it, prov- when it proved popular in test screenings, he decided to do it for the final film. Stanton recorded all of Crush's dialogue lying on his couch in his office, probably to get that, like, baked out, like, surfer hey, bro. Surfer bro. Yeah, forever, bro, too. Like, voice, yeah, bro. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. And, Bra- and Brad Bird and Andrew Stanton are two examples of Pixar directors who also made major Hollywood films. Brad Bird, he actually made the fourth Mission Impossible movie, the one um, with Tom Cruise climbing on that giant building in India. In Dubai. Um, and also, he Andrew Stanton made John Carter of Mars, which was not a success. Uh, he didn't really pull that film off, I think, but he's really great with animated films. A Pixar director also made that Tomorrow Tomorrow World movie. I think it was Brad Bird. The Tomorrow War? Tomorrow World. Oh, Tomorrow with George War. Clooney. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe that was Brad Bird as well. So Disney has always had a very good relationship with Pixar since the 2000s. Yeah, I well, mean, they, they were a lot of money. Because <laughs> they were in negotiations, in negotiations to buy Pixar for years. You know, these, these kinds of deals take a lot of time to get out. And so they were, Disney was well aware and involved in like what was going on there, who worked there, who was really in charge and who was directing these films and obviously kept them on their books for making their own adaptations of their own properties. So they saw those box offices yeah. and they're like, we want to get a little taste yeah. of that. The mouse wants to get some the of mouse. that. <laughs> because yeah. John Carter is a Disney property as well. Yeah, they, yeah. they own that one. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, besides using our coupon codes, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast where you get awesome perks like personalized videos, Patreon shouts on the show, weekly bonus episodes that all patrons have access to, as well as monthly Zoom chats and calls if you're on the $10 and $25. Our $10 and $25 tier patrons also have access to our Discord as well as our $100 tier patron chosen ones. And not only do we have our chats on there that we interact with every day, we have our watch parties on our Discord. We also just launched our podcast masterclass online course last year. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all of the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or go to our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. You can also see all of our content, sources, 
for merch, custom movie posters. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Thanks for tuning in around the world. Hit the notification bells. Leave the five-star reviews. Now let's get back into Finding Nemo. We were a good age for this movie when it came out. We were 13 when this came out. So we were like right there, Disney's target audience, and we really enjoyed the film. And also, I want to know what the numbers are for merchandise sales for Finding Nemo because everywhere you went, every mall... Their Disney stores and their, and many other stores, it was Nemo all over the place. Nemo and Dory from the actual like toys to clothing to like backpacks and lunch boxes. Like they had everything and everyone at school like had some kind of Nemo thing at one point. And you saw them whenever you went to people's houses, you saw some kind of Nemo thing. It could be like a, the bedding of their of their bedroom or like even the wallpaper or posters. So there was Nemo merch all over the place. And it, I think it was because Toy Story did very good with merch, but I think Nemo really destroyed it in terms of merchandise sales. Yeah, it was all over the place. Yeah. And obviously one of the cons to a very popular film with fish or, or animals inside of the same thing that happened with Ratatouille is, well, Ratatouille, you could probably say it's more of a, a pro, but with the clownfish, everyone wanted clownfish. Kids wanted clownfish for pets. So a lot of clownfish were taken from the ocean and sold as pets. And I'm sure it depleted the, the natural habitats of those animals and those reefs of wherever they had to find them. I think Ratatouille is probably a little more of a positive situation where maybe all these rats didn't have homes to go to. But same thing kind of happened with, with uh, Ratatouille's Finding Nemo. But that also had disastrous effects because raising taking care of clownfish is um, actually very complicated in terms of the environment you put them in. And many died. Many of these people who bought clownfish weren't prepared for what it took to really keep clownfish healthy and alive for long periods of time. So many were pretty died pretty quickly after being purchased and, and used as gifts. Oh, that's really it's just it's ironically just like Darla in this movie in the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Hopefully they weren't shaking the bag. Yeah, because yeah. that would be horrible, anyways. Yeah. But I love Finding Nemo. It's such a feel good movie. Beautiful animation. I think it's you know one of the best movies ever that brings storytelling in our in our reality to the ocean in like a new way in an interesting way because the mysteries of the ocean are so fascinating the creatures that live in there obviously we only see from the surface or if we have binocular I mean goggles we go underwater <laughs> not binoculars we have goggles we go underwater we can see obviously documentaries and stuff like that but I think obviously it's an animated film so the colors are saturated and much more vibrant and the lighting is very well done and balanced and you know camera angles and all stuff like that so it looks it looks beautiful and fantastic it's not obviously what the ocean looks like but it's really fascinating and i think it piqued a lot of curiosity about the ocean i'm sure aquarium ticket sales boomed after this movie came out it's probably the best kind of marketing they could ever have it's the same thing with like top gun and then navy recruitment's going up at the same time <laughs> in 1986 in the, in the late 80s and early 90s but I think this movie just captured the intrigue that human beings have with the ocean. What's down low in the oceans? What kind of creatures live down there? What kind of habitats there are? And the and I love how they just infuse human society inside the natural habitat. Yeah, there's a of school. The there's a school. Yeah. There's like a, a fish that's like a school bus it's taking a neighborhood. around. It's yeah. so fun. The currents and it's really fun how they click on that. And I think also the concept of the NAAA sequences with the uh, the sharks that are like addicted mm -hmm. to blood. It's really funny and interesting to just fuse human nature inside these animals yeah and plus it has a really endearing story about family and love and loss and and grief and it's just it's a very powerful film and for kids to see things like this i think is really awesome to see films with deep themes but also blended together with great comedy and fun action adventure as well i think that this is all around all around a perfect film especially for young kids i think that you know this is up there with lion king 
movies like of that caliber. We actually we chose this movie today because in our in our Patreon Discord we had a, a big bracket a tournament bracket of uh, animated films of all best ones of all, all time. time. And we had well, we put like eighty films in there yeah, or something, and then Finding Nemo came out on top as the number one choice. I was surprised. Yeah, me too. I was expecting Lion King maybe would take home the take home the the honors. Yeah, but, or Prince of Egypt or or something like but that. But honestly, yeah. it was an easy cakewalk for Finding Nemo. Yeah, they swept it, like every every match it was yeah. in. It was like no contest. Yeah, for even Nemo. the finale, even the championship. So I was surprised by that, and I and guess there was I, probably eighteen or something, or like fifteen of us at least voting. So it was like yeah. a pretty good demographic of the like different perceptions of film and all different mm-hmm. kinds of people just voting on it, and just different age groups as well. Just and, and Finding Nemo came out on top. I was shocked. Yeah. So I, this is definitely becoming a, a legendary classic, just like uh, The Lion King was in the '90s. And I gotta say, this is one of the best voice acting casts you'll ever see in an animated film. And we have Albert Brooks as Marlin, who is really kind of the heart of this entire movie and it might it, i don't think it works the same way without him and actually nemo's father marlin was originally voiced by william h macy and according to james b stewart's book disney war it was after seeing an early cut of the film with macy's voice that the disney ceo at the time michael I, El, michael eisner 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 famously told his board of directors this will be a reality check for those guys it's okay but nowhere near as good as their previous films of course they think it's great trust me it's not director andrew stanton recast the role of marlon with albert brooks and the film went on to get some of pixar's best reviews ever and became the highest grossed grossing animated film of all time when it came out so clearly not that william h macy's not a great actor because he is but something about albert brooks taking on the role of marlon after him and maybe infusing more life more warmth more of a maybe a better voice performance into it but aside from albert books this cast is absolutely stacked i mean we have also ellen degeneres as dory alexander gould as nemo willem dafoe as gill we have brad garrett as bloat brad garrett obviously from uh, everybody loves raymond <laughs> allison janney as peach austin pendleton as gurgle steven root as bubbles who we all know bubbles as uh from office space um, what's his name milton milton and then joe ramped as jacques Vicky Lewis has multiple roles, and most popular one is Deb. Jeffrey Rush plays yeah. Nigel. Awesome yeah. performance. Great, from him great as well. Australian accent. Andrew Stinn as Crush. Elizabeth Perkins as Coral. Nicholas Bird, who's Brad Bird's son, as Squirt the Little Turtle. Bob <laughs> Peterson, Mr. Ray. Barry Humphreys as Bruce. Eric Banner as one of the other sharks, Anchor. And then Bruce Spence as another shark as Chuck. Oh, Eric Banner plays one of the sharks? Yeah, he plays one of the sharks. Oh, no way. So the cast is just so, so good. Really, really terrific performance. It's the most impressive around. one because it's an ensemble of amazing so, actors. So as many actors. To, as opposed to a couple of great actors. Even just having great actors like Eric Banner as just a small character like Anchor is really great. I also think uh, something that set this movie apart from everything Pixar had done before it was Thomas Newman's score. Because all the other Pixar movies up to that point, yeah, they have good scores, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Toy, Toy Story, Story is you got a friend in me. And he he did make the comp- the music for the uh, – he composed the music as well. The writer and singer of that song. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But you can't like – remember the toy story music and it doesn't really it doesn't really make an impact outside of the film it works for the film but like i mean it has a couple of nice themes and same thing with monsters inc it's a lot of fun but finding nemo hiring thomas newman really set this film apart because he's first of all he's one of the best composers working today he's made a ton of movies you'd recognize his scores he's done all of sam mendez's scores so He's up there. Skyfall. So yeah, Skyfall, American Beauty, you know, 1917, all of those Sam Mendes movies, as, as well as like uh, awesome other movies. Road to Perdition is another great one. Excellent composer. And what he did with Finding Nemo was he brought so much beauty and warmth and power to the to the screen and great themes, like really standout themes. Uh, he, f- he captured the essence of the ocean and the beauty of the ocean and when you listen to that score, you're like, wow, this is just beautiful. It's so touching. It suits the tragic moments. And then he's great with the, the action-heavy moments and the, the moments of, of fear in the film. And it's a really stunning accomplishment by Thomas Newman. It's his best score to date, I would say. It's really beautiful. And that it really propelled Finding Nemo into different territory for Pixar. And the answer was Randy Newman. Randy Newman, thank you. Another You uh, got yeah, a friend in me. Yeah, and Thomas me. Newman's score is incredible. It's very stringy whimsical magical like the ocean is you just captured like as you said the essence of it and it's honestly so good it like almost is better than the movie in a way like on its own it's just so it's, exceptional it's a, it's a masterpiece of of comp- composition you could argue it's one of the best in an animated movie i think we've ever heard especially in pixar films and not just the music is just terrific but the sound design is sensational in finding nemo like the feeling of 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 like being underwater in a way just like even just the bubbles the waves the currents just the the emptiness that you hear inside you hear nothing at points just the darkness mm. and the emptiness and void of space and i mean of the space in the ocean you could say it's kind of like being in space and i think they did a, a really amazing job with just experimenting to get the sound rights for what it's like to hear sounds in the ocean underwater and the pixar team put a lot of work into the research and preparation for making this film and i did a lot of research and this film is extremely well research in terms of its scientific accuracy. And I, f- I found a ton of really cool facts regarding some, some of the story points of the film as well as characters they, they put in the film. Let's hear them. I'd love, so, to, check. I'd love to hear these uh, cool facts. So clownfish. There are 30 kinds of species of clownfish. Marlin and Nemo are ocellaris clownfish, which is a type of orange clownfish that live in sea anemones. I said it right. Anemones. Uh, just like in the movie. And on average, a clownfish actually can lay up to 1,000 eggs. Wow. And another fun fact about clownfish is Nemo's mom is technically also his dad because clownfish are all born as males and they're able to change their sex in order to mate and procreate and then they can change their sex back to the way it originally was. So it's a really great thing that reminds you of things like um, Jurassic Park. Amphibians can do that as well. Certain frogs have that ability. Life finds a way. Life finds a way. Really cool fact. Actually, real quick, do you know what an anemone is? It's uh, environment. It's a pl- a plant. Yeah, it's exactly that's what yeah. like they they like sleep in and live yeah. in. Those are like those uh, are group of predatory marine animals of the order 
Actinaria, because of their colorful appearance, they are named for their anemone, a terrestrial flowering plant. And now the relationship between a clownfish and an anemone is a, co- a, 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 a relationship word. of symbio- symbiosis between them two, where the anemone provides the clownfish with protection and shelter, while the clownfish provides the anemone nutrients in the form of waste, while also scaring off potential predator fish. And actually, the so those, I don't know what you call them, like they're the dangerous tentacles of an anemone, they are very comparable to those of a jellyfish. And this is actually why in that scene where um, Dory and Marlin get stuck in that huge um, crowd of jellyfish, that's why when Dory gets stung, she passes out, whereas Marlin, he's able to get stung many times while rescuing her because clownfish have a mucous membrane around their bodies that protects them from the anemones they live in, and it's the exact same kind of stingers on the anemones as jellyfish have, so that's why he's able to save her. Wow, awesome fact. I yeah. didn't know that. I yeah. always wondered why Dory passed out and he didn't. That's so exactly why. Yeah. And so another a great fact about um, sharks is so Bruce, one of my favorite characters from the movie, I love his teeth in this movie because it's like tons of rows of scary, jagged teeth. And it's actually accurate to sharks. sharks. Shark species have several rows of teeth, And in this movie, Bruce plays a great white shark, and great white sharks typically have around 300 teeth each, and sharks are actually constantly shedding and growing new teeth. And Bruce actually got his name from the shark that was used to film for Jaws with Steven Spielberg's film. He named the the shark after his lawyer, Bruce M. Raymer, and so it's just a great little reference to Jaws to name the main Big great white shark, Bruce. And Nemo's actually named after Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, no Another way. famous story in movies set under the ocean. Who's Marlon named after Marlon Brando? No, so there's <laughs> no, um, Marlon. Marlon was actually a street name across from Pixar Studios in San Francisco. Um, the street names, one name has Marlon in it and one name has Dory in it. Oh, cool. So that's, they named it after that crossroad awesome. there. that they, Pixar. Yeah. And then, um, so speaking of Dory... One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene with the anglerfish, which is that glowing fish with, like, the little light bulb on it. And that's an actual real fish that exists in the ocean. And so in real life, they their teeth aren't that big, and they aren't they aren't super colorful. They're, like, they're actually mostly translucent. Their entire, all of their flesh is very translucent, allows them to hide from their prey as they're getting ready to attack. And in that moment when both Dory and Marlin get, like, hypnotized by the little light bulb, that's actually accurate to science as well. The anglerfish... What they do is they hold out this like little piece of their bone and it glows and it looks kind of like a fish hook. And when fish look at it, they are drawn to it and transfixed to it. And that allows the, the angler fish to get close to the prey to grab them. Hey, man, I'm just going to say, you, I think you'd be a great science teacher. <laughs> I'm learning so much, and you're just, like, so positive, and you're going, and I feel like a little kid sitting, like, watching a like a little discussion or a class. <laughs> Thanks, man. Bio, marine biology. Yeah. And another great scene that's scientifically accurate is the trench scene. So in the, in the first act, when that school of fish, and they can change the shapes and stuff, and they're pointing in the right direction, and they give the directions to the current where the turtles are, but um, they warn... Dory, they're like, so there's a trench right there. Make sure you go under the, go through the trench, not over it. Through the trench, not over it. She's like, okay, through the trench, not over it. And then, but then she forgets, and that's when they encounter the jellyfish. There are actually tons of huge trenches all over the ocean, as we know. There, it's the the landmass, the the crust of the the earth under the ocean is just monumentally big, and most of it still hasn't even been explored. 
but trenches and canyons are very common on the ocean floor. And some of these are go down as far as 24,000 to 36,000 feet below the water's surface. So they are extremely deep. And speaking of that current, so the current that the, the turtles cowabunga are riding through, <laughs> that's an actual real real current. It's called the East, East, Aust- in East Australian. Yeah, yeah, East Australian current, also known as the EAC. It's a real thing. And the current travels from along the east side of the Australian. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at American Signature Furniture or designerlooks.com. Australian coast that flows in a south downward direction from the Great Barrier Reef. This transports more than 40 million cubic meters of water per second. It doesn't go as fast as it does in the movie, but it does push down a lot of water. That's all the uh, the science facts for today. Well, I have some interesting animation facts that I'd like to talk about because, again, this was really incredible animation. They had already been doing fantastic animation, obviously, with their films before, but I think this was just a lot more complex, especially with being in the ocean, being with so much water, and the difficulty that came with animating fish and everything like that. And so thanks to Animation World Network, we got some great info. So let's talk about how one of the trickiest problems for Pixar staff was learning to communicate to each other about actions, textures, and other details that are not easy to describe in the English language when it comes to the ocean and everything like that. A new vocabulary had to be developed in order to communicate, and technical director Oren Jacob believes that they never really mastered a vocabulary that describes all the nuances of how the water should look. Once they were able to create realistic water, the art department began to request how the water in a scene should look. Jacob says that didn't make things easy. They might say it's a little bit too confused, but what does that mean? They were beginning to direct it aesthetically. That challenge continued right up until the last shots of the film. Pixar invited a scientist to present lectures on waves, swells, and other motions. Several staff members took a trip to Hawaii in 2000, so this movie had been in production for a long time, to study water and sea life. They ended up using reference footage from that trip to describe conditions above and below the surface. Another difficult obstacle for the Pixar animators was figuring out how fish actually swim. So they spent a lot of time at aquariums and spent time with scientists and marine biologists to understand the movements that fish make when they're swimming, when they're moving, why they'd make certain movements, whether it come down to skeletal muscular structure. They also had to figure out how to make fishes act because it hadn't really been done too often in animated films. And so they looked to Bambi, which came out in 1942, as it didn't use a lot of anthropomorphic animals. And to get fish to act, Pixar had to take liberties in finding Nemo. The face becomes very expressive, so they humanize the faces in the characterization process. There's no, there is lip sync. Brown says, we have more of a human face on the fish. The fish's face isn't that compelling. A f- real fish doesn't have any flexible lips. Just a hard membrane. There's no eyebrows, which in the film, they obviously have eyebrows and lips and muscular structures. Yes, I mean, you have to watch the animals emote. So that's something that the new Lion King adaptation, I, that's what I, did, I found cold about the movie. It's sensational CGI, what they pulled off. But I, it never felt like I could have really emote or connect with the animals in that movie because they were so photorealistic. And it just didn't make sense to my brain watching them speak not like the animated film. So I think it's important with an animated film, you can take liberties to change the characteristics of an animal's face to make it more relatable, make human beings connect to that emotional element within that soul of the of the animal 
And I think that Lion King, the new one, was lacking in that. And they also had to, instead of using limbs from an animal or a mammal, they had to use fins and 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 parts of a fish's body to act as like expressive limbs and arms and fingers and hand movements like we see from human beings to understand what they're doing. But it's not like Shark Tale where they, they're just like really long. It's like they kept it practical to like what the dimensions of that animals fins were like and they had to work around that and so like nemo with his tiny fins when he's when he's trying to do something he has to like move his entire body he doesn't have arms that can like reach exactly and one of the most difficult shots for the animators to make was the jellyfish sequence which had 77 77 000 jellyfish meaning it was quite the challenge for both the technical crew and the artists it's because with jellyfishes nothing is static everything moves water wind and their swimming movements influence their form that resulted in every frame being a different composition, so it was hard to create actions and forms that matched up from shot to shot. Past Pixar features starred characters that looked the same from shot to shot, and their movements and appearances were easy to match up. Now they had to deal with ever-changing forms. To create the shots that matched up, they had to create key elements by hand. To avoid confusing the audience, they animated parts of 1,200 jellyfish. They were carefully placed in the foreground or middle ground of scenes so the cuts would look natural to the audience. Also, for the challenging part of the jellyfish sequence is jellyfish are translucent. And that's something they had never done before with their animation programs. And so they created an entire new system of shading, which they called transblurrency, which was see-through but not completely blurred. So it's like a frosted bathroom window. And that's something they, they had to literally develop that technology for this sequence alone. And rendering a frame, just one frame of this movie, it could last up to four days because of the complexity of the underwater environment also combining that with sunlight coming through the water and hitting fish scales so it was a very complicated editing process and animation project process there's just so much information in every single frame that's why it took so long for this movie to finally get finished because they spent years just rendering it and that's why it's taken james cameron 15 years <laughs> to make avatar 2 going forward because it's taken that long to get the super photorealistic water and, and environments that he wants for the new avatar sequels what i noticed from a behind the scenes photo of avatar is they showed a photo of kate winslet um zoe zaldana and sam worthington and they're in the water of a giant tank but then there are these like thousands and thousands of these little plastic balls plastic balls that are floating atop the surface of the ocean so i'm sure they're using that as a guidance for how the the surface of the water moves and interacts with the characters yeah because just to stay on avatar 2 for a little bit the thing with it is and i, I think this is why it's taken so long is the main difference i see between avatar and then avatar 2 the way of the water is avatar looked realistic avatar 2 looks real yeah. It looks real great. as hell. Yeah. Looks great. Looks like real creatures that actually exist. Even just the stills. It's shocking how incredible it is. I think it's going to absolutely blow people's minds back. Obviously, the trailer came out in theaters paired with Doctor paired with Doctor Strange. But I think we have no idea what we're prepared for. We're not prepared for anything. Yeah, that's a great uh, way to frame phrase it. I like that. Thanks, man. Came and, up with that myself. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to tweet that. <laughs> Do it. Uh, Finding Nemo was also. One of the most successful movies of all time, like you said, but also it might be the most successful animated film ever made when you factor in DVD sales. So when Finding Nemo was released on VHS in DVD back in 2003, yes, VHS was still being used back then. This was before Blu-ray too. So the DVD release on its first day sold 8 million copies just on the first day. Now that surpassed Spider-Man's record for single day DVD sales. Now back then... When a movie came out, it didn't come out on streaming. You couldn't rent it anywhere. 
except for maybe Blockbuster, but you would go to like Best Buy or a similar store and you'd buy the movie. That still had to wait like eight to ten months yeah, at least. Exactly. So like that's what everyone did when they when a new movie came out generally, if they wanted to own it. If you didn't want to own it, you would go to Blockbuster. But everyone wants to own Spider Man, so everyone bought it. It was a lot more common to buy movies. Exactly. And they were they were kind of expensive, but they weren't that expensive. And then so it beat Spider Man. And then it also that also beat Monsters Inc. for the single day record for an animated film. And then within two weeks, it became the best selling DVD of its time, selling 15 million copies and beating out Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring just in two weeks. Insane. In two weeks, and then That's so crazy. Yeah, and then over that decade, Finding Nemo sold 40 million copies of DVDs and VHSs, and it still to this day holds the record for the most DVDs sold of all time. I would love to know what profit they make off a DVD. It's actually it's much more than a movie ticket. Yeah, I'm sure um, because they're probably doing everything. It's about eighty percent. It's eighty percent. They're producing it and distributing it, and the stores are just getting a cut for selling it. It's not like a movie theater shares the profit of the film. Like the studio is getting the vast majority of the profit on DVD. That's a shock. I wonder if they made more. They probably made more off the DVD sales than off ticket sales. Maybe no, I'd say because if you multiply forty million times like eight dollars of profit per DVD, that's not nine hundred forty million. I was thinking like a little more, that's, that's, like 1999 when like when they first come up, but still under, still under. Yeah, it's the yeah, anyway. The it's it's movie shocking. theaters are where it's at. It's shocking movie how theaters. much. Plus rentals, so I mean throwing yeah. rentals. Yeah, that's probably huge. Oh yeah, oh yeah, rentals. They they definitely made some money too. They get a portion of that. So it's just a wild, so massive successful success. Film. Massive huge. success. And the storyline of Finding Nemo, it's really solid. We've all seen this a bunch of times, but let me run through a synopsis for you. I'd love to. A clownfish named Marlin lives in the Great Barrier Reef and loses his son Nemo after he ventures into the open sea, despite his father's constant warnings about many of the ocean's dangers. Nemo is abducted by a boat and netted up and sent to a dentist's office in Sydney. While Marlin ventures off to try to retrieve Nemo, Marlin meets a fish named Dory, a blue tang suffering from short-term memory loss. The the companions travel a great distance, encountering various dangers, dangerous sea creatures such as sharks, anglerfish, and jellyfish in order to rescue Nemo from the dentist's office, which is situated by Sydney Harbor. While the two are searching the ocean far and wide, Nemo and the other sea animals in the dentist's fish tank plot a way to return to the sea to live their lives free again. I thought it was genius to set the second plot in the dentist office because that's like a terrifying place for kids. Yeah, but also what I love about the fish tank sequences, it's it turns into a great escape yeah, movie. It's a like a prison movie. Mo- yeah. a prison escape movie. It's yeah. awesome. It's, it's like so an fun. oceans movie. Yeah, or, or like Escape from Alcatraz <laughs> yeah. in a fish tank. And I love in like a Mission Impossible movie movie where when Gil's talking about the plan. We're seeing it played out in yeah, front yeah, of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I loved it. I think one of the great strengths of this film outside of animation is the dual plot storyline because Nemo has his own storyline and his own plot up versus and against Marlon and Dory's plot. And they really just connect and weave really well together and they kind of contrast each other. And they both learn life lessons away from each other. Like Marlon learns to be Marlon's a great father, but he's very overprotective and he doesn't want anything to happen to Nemo and tells Nemo he can't do things certain things because of his small fin. Whereas Nemo needs to learn that he can do things. He can take chances. He he has to learn to up to, to what kind of potential he has. That's why there are great sequences like when they're with the turtles and and uh, Crush tells him, just let let him let's see what happens. Let him go. And well, yeah, that's a great example because Crush has a great relationship with his son, the yeah. little turtle. And uh, Marlon watches them communicate, and they're like friends. And he's like, oh. Me and Nemo don't have that. I want that. It's because he's overprotective. And yeah. like when Squirt falls out of the current 
And Nemo's like, oh my god, we have to go find him. And then Crush is like, nah, bro, let's like see what he does, man. Let's see how he responds. <laughs> and then Squirt makes his way back to the current. So he's letting Squirt, even though he's small and weak, giving him a chance to prove himself and to succeed at something where Marlin has been holding Nemo back, not letting him succeed, not letting him try things that are outside of his comfort zone. And that's what Gil provides Nemo. He, he challenges Nemo and he puts Nemo into situations where he has to overcome conflict and obstacles and that's he's kind of using him as well too. yeah as well he's using, <laughs> he's using him i wonder how many fish have died <laughs> try, try to for, from gill <laughs> corrupting them you're right you, yeah we need you he's man. ready <laughs> he's been here for six hours he's ready he's the only one can fit <laughs> i love it but nemo needed that he needed to he needed to prove to himself and actually do something on his own and i think albert brooks really sells that really well because he's super protective and and neurotic and a, and a worry wart. You understand why. Yeah, you understand to him why. In but, the you, but in that can be annoying. I think that's why William H. Macy's voiceover maybe didn't work. Maybe he wasn't able to portray the heart and love along with those characteristics that Marlon has. Maybe because it sounds like he was just complaining the whole yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. It could have just been sounded like someone like very annoying, whereas Marlon comes off as it's endearing and touching and you know where he's coming from and there's a lot of pain and sadness behind that characteristic of over overprotectiveness i agree now before we continue how about we head on into our intermission oh yeah let's then we'll get it. back to the plot yeah raiders of the lost podcast is brought to you by our good friends at manscape.com the leaders in men's grooming who are turning your shower routine into your favorite part of the day with their new ultra premium collection also get their lawnmower 4.0 groomer because you can use it in the ocean it is waterproof so use it in the shower anytime it's got a built-in light waterproof skin safe 7000 rpm motor we've been telling you to get it for about a year now so get on that lawnmower 4.0 groomer and shave yourself at the bottom of the ocean the ultra premium collection on the other hand is the ultimate wet goods bundle. It's got deodorants, yes, actual armpit deodorant from Manscaped that me and Anthony are now obsessed with. It's the I love only it. deodorant we'll ever use. Body wash, which we're body wash. <laughs> body wash. Body wash. Which we use every day, obviously. Two in one shampoo conditioner, hydrating body spray, and a free set of Manscaped lip balm. Head on over to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order today. And you know our other amazing sponsor, MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable. Everything from a Marvel movie to a Pixar movie to your favorite classic. They got you covered as well as a selection of all sorts of sizes, framing, and backlighting. Whatever your poster needs are, they got you covered. Again, head on over to movieposters.com and use our special promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, let's begin the intermission with our movie quote competition. Let's you ready? It. Well, this is it, old boy. I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking the, speaking the king's what is this? <laughs> Can you say it again? Well, this is it. Oh, oh boy. I got it. It's a glorious bastards. Yeah. Great one. Good quote. Damn good scotch. <laughs> Damn good stuff, sir. <laughs> Here's my quote. It's two characters. So one, the first character is shouting from outside a fire escape of his apartment in a rough part of Queens, New York. That's the setup. Good morning, my neighbors. AF you. Yes, yes, F-U-2. 
they're swearing in, in the movie. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just didn't want to swear. <laughs> but he's saying it positively. Yeah. Huh. Good morning, my neighbors. Hey, f you. Awesome. Yes, yes, f you too. Sounds so familiar. Um. Honestly, I'm not sure. It just sounds really familiar. Bruce Almighty? No, I don't know. Coming to America. Oh, my God. Got me. All right, guess this movie release here. Concussion. 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 That sounds was... like I have a concussion. <laughs> 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 that was... <clears throat> 2017. 2015. Really? Yeah, it was. Wow. <laughs> Tell the truth. Tell the truth. <laughs> okay, guess this movie. Sick re- reference, bro. <laughs> the references are out of control. Everyone knows that. <laughs> guess this movie release year. The Nutty Professor. 2000. 1996. Oh, man. That's old. Yeah. I was thinking Dr. Doolittle, I think. It's like a one. All right. Movie pop quiz time. It's the list, which is your favorite kind of answer <laughs> in quiz questions. No, I love lists, just not six in a row. Name every adult actress who has played Sarah Connor in the Terminator franchise. Movie franchise or TV franchise? Terminator franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Hamilton. Um, oh, what's her name? Cersei Lannister's name. Oh, what's her name? Definitely not Cersei Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, there's two Game of Thrones actors that played her. <laughs> Shoot, what are both of their names? Yeah, you're right. You're right. What are their names? Oh, I, oh what's her name? You, can't, uh, you only know I, their character names. On. Oh my hold gosh, no, I know them so well. Anthony uh, loves Game of Thrones too. Laura, this is funny. Laura. I can't believe you. you I thought you'd get this in a second, bro. <laughs> Me too, man. Anthony, Anthony. I don't know if you guys know this. Anthony's also read the books. <laughs> Huge Game of Thrones stand. Oh man, I'm I'm just blanking right now. What's Cersei's name, and then what's to da- Daenerys Targaryen's name? They're pretty. Well, the latter is very famous. I I'm blanking. I'm gonna hate Lena myself. Hetty. Lena Hetty. Lena Hetty. And then Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark. I can't believe you didn't get her. I blanked, man. Oh so, my yeah, God. Linda Hamilton is the OG Sarah Connor. Linda Hetty was in the TV series. Yeah. Um, and then Amelia Clark was the reboot Sarah Connor. Yeah, Salvation. Uh, not Salvation, the the one after that. Genesis. Genesis, in. yeah. And then Willa Taylor also played Sarah as a nine-year-old in an odd alternate reality flashback in Terminator Genesis where she's saved by a T-800. Oh, I can't even remember that scene. Yeah, that, I, I just I, I blotted the, my memory that movie I blocked out. That my movie out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just erased it from my mind. Good question. Great though, question. Right? Yeah. Great question. Thanks, man. I would have gotten it wrong though, because I would have gotten the fourth one, even if I remember their names. Oh, that's why I said it. I, I mean, it's just a child actress. Like, okay, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, name. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ph- photographic memory. But man, good one. You got me. Thanks. Okay, here's my <clears throat> quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> I have phlegm in my throat. Here's my. <clears throat> I'm not allowed to clear my throat. <laughs> the timing. I'm not allowed to clear the my timing throat. is funny. <laughs> <clears throat> what famous Disney character did Eddie Murphy voice in a beloved animated film? Disney, because DreamWorks isn't Disney, so hmm. yeah, it's not Shrek. It's not Shrek. Famous. I feel famous like... Disney movie. I feel like he's in Emperor's New Groove. Eh. No. Can I get another shot? You can get another shot. It's a Let's tough see. question. It is a tough question. 
Um, it's got to be an older one. I don't know. He voiced Mushu in Milan. Oh. A little dragon. Good call. We've got a great five-star review from Ian Baller. says, love you guys. This is the best movie podcast out there. The knowledge of film that these guys have is amazing and a little weird. Another thing y'all have done is given me appreciation for interna- international films. I love you guys. Appreciate it, Ian. So glad you were watching international movies. And our godfather, shout out. Who's it going to be? Alexander Biscardi. Thank you so much for being a Godfather patron. Alexander! Oh we my goodness! You, off, you, you became a Godfather. Alexander. Yeah. Alexander. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a demon. Alexander, thanks. But thank you so much for joining our Patreon and making it a Godfather tier. This keeps the lights on for our show. What did Alexander pick for their episode? La Dolce Vita. Whoa! Federico Fellini's great Italian film. It's really awesome. Beautiful cinematography, amazing set design, and excellent acting. It's a terrific film, and we can't wait to review La Dolce Vita for you in your special personal episode. So excited to talk about it. I actually just listened to the, the score of it randomly yeah. last week. Nino. So good, Nino Rota. Yeah. And um, on this day, again, Alexander, thanks so much. Can't wait to talk about it. On this day in film history, today is May 16th in 1929. The first Academy Awards happens. Wings, wow. Emil Jannings, and Janet Gaynor win. In 1986, Top Gun, directed by Tony Scott and starring Tom Cruise, premieres. In 2001, Mulholland Drive premieres at Cannes Film Festival, directed by David Lynch. In 2002, Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, is released in cinemas. In 2013, Star Trek Into Darkness is released. In 2014, Godzilla is released. In 2019, Rocket Man premieres at the Cannes Film Festival. Love that movie. And happy birthday to the late Henry Fonda, Danny Trejo, Pierce Brosnan, and Megan Fox. Danny Trejo died? No, the late Henry Fonda, and then Danny Trejo. Oh, happy birthday to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm a bonehead. Yeah, I know you I, are. I, I, imagine, I, I imagine a list of like notable deaths. <laughs> I do this every episode. I, know, I, said, I, I say the late. If it's, I know. If I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. I know. It's all good. It's okay, man. <laughs> My streaming recommendation is an Amazon Prime. Is on Amazon Prime. It is Inside Lewin Davis, written and directed by the Coen Brothers, starring... Oscar Isaac, who is on fire. That man is hot. The man is hot right now. My streaming recommendation is also on Amazon Prime. They just got A Quiet Place Part 2. Excellent movie. Amazing sequel. Be quiet when you watch it. Be quiet. But it was one of the first movies we saw after the lockdown. No, before the lockdown happened. No, after lockdown. After the lockdown. Yeah, and it was just like... One of those movies where, it was about to come out that month. Yeah, it was after Green Knight, and then we saw A Quiet Place Part 2, and it was like, wow, this the movies are back. It was such a great movie to see. All right, let's get back into Finding Nemo. We were talking about Nemo and Marlon and their separate storylines, and I I think Dory and Marlon is so fun. I think it's I think it's probably the best the biggest strength of the film is the relationship between Marlon and Dory because I think Dory's one of the most iconic and one of my favorite Pixar characters of all time. She is so funny, and I was surprised when I saw how incredible Ellen DeGeneres did as a voice actor, especially the dramatic stuff, because I'd only ever see her do comedy and stand-ups and stuff like that at the time, so I didn't know she, I didn't know if she'd bring up the big guns when it came to the emotional acting, but she makes you your, some tears come out for sure. It's a very emotional performance and an emotional movie at times, and I think that they're back and forth and their companionship. It's so endearing. It's fun. Marlon can't stand her at first, but then they really grow this beautiful friendship by the end of the film. And it's it's really incredible to watch their journey together. And the connection that she makes with her, with uh, Marlon and Nemo eventually helps repair 
most of her memory where she's able to remember things again. And um, I understand, actually, he envisioned Dory as a male character, so he was looking to cast an actor, uh, a male actor, but then he watched an episode of Ellen De- DeGeneres' show, and in that in that show, that episode, she was talking, and he saw her change the subject five times before she, fin- before she finished one subject, and he was like, before, he, before she finished one sentence, and he was like, that's Dory. I got to get her. Yeah, she's, she's, she's perfect. perfect in this movie. Yeah, she's a scene stealer. Every line that comes out of Dory's mouth is just either hilarious or just also just very sad because there are some emotional points, especially with her past, how you know she lost her family. She doesn't remember how, but it's so incredible that you could argue just out of one line of dialogue, they created Finding Dory, the entire plot yeah. of that, which is so great. I love when she's trying to remember Nemo's name multiple times in the film. She calls him like Fabio at one yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And like speaking well. Ow. Oh. Very, she's the most intelligent fish in the world. She can read it. She can speak whale. Yeah, she actually, re- well, well, fish can actually communicate um, through clicking in different, like physical mo- means. Cross species communication, yeah. or does it have to be in the same? Well, species? that's this. The verdict isn't out on that, but whales communicate like that, like she does in the film. But there is kind of some research to show that maybe different kinds of fish can communicate with each other in certain ways. Yeah, and they do grow together very much. You know, Marlin can't stand her, but then I think the jellyfish sequence is a really important moment where uh, Marlin goes back and saves Dory when she's being engulfed by all the jellyfish. Then also, when the whale comes and she's speaking whale and he thinks she's crazy and she's Mm. like, no, trust me, just let go. Let go. It's going to help us. He doesn't realize that the whale is going to bring them in to the docks at Sydney in Sydney and he has to just finally let go. That's like the, the biggest moment for Marlon after the like the interactions with Crush and his and Squirt and then now with Dory with the whale to finally let go, let things happen and just have to just go on and just see what happens and again like I keep saying the same thing. Well Marlon's kind of the antagonist to himself because if he listened to Dory more often, there'd be less conflicts. For example, that the trench that they the the fish told them to go through it, and she she's telling him she can't remember exactly what they said. But when they're at the trench, she's like, "No, I'm pretty sure we should go through this. I, I have a feeling we, we got to go through this and over." And he's like, "No, it's a huge deep trench. We're going over it, Dory." So his inability to trust anyone, and his his control issues, and his neuroticism prevents him from trusting anyone else's opinion. And if he trusted Dory more often, they'd be in less conflicts. And then. Nemo, after he gets captured by the fisherman, which is turns out to be the dentist, and he brings him to the... And ironically, it's it's Marlon's behavior that causes that to happen. He yeah. embarrasses Nemo. Nemo and, goes to and, touch the butt. Yeah, it's like in spite of his father, it's the reason Marlon's at fault for it ever happening. Exactly. So then he gets captured by the the scuba diver, who's the dentist. Scuba Steve. Him, scuba Steve. Scuba Steve! Goddamn you! <laughs> <laughs> Kangaroo song! Kangaroo song! <laughs> <laughs> Way off topic. Sick reference, bro. Um, <laughs> and then Nemo wakes up in that fish tank with all these new fish, and he's scared. But he really just comes into his own and like finds out who he really is because he gets initiated. And Gil is a great leader. I love the volcano. He gets his name Shark Bait, and like he he's becomes a member of this little tribe of fish that are just stuck in this fish tank. And they have that great escape plan where they're going to block the filter, and they need Nemo to be able to do it. And they fail the first time, but in the middle of the night, after I mean, he's just kind of thinking about all the things that his father said to him. He just does it on his own without the help of anyone else and they get the filter to stop and then they stink up and dirty up the the 
water inside the fish tank. And I love it. I think it's the starfish. She's like, do you realize that we're swimming in our own? And then it cuts real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, the dentist gets a better uh, like electric powered yeah, filter yeah. or anything like that. I but, also love how the f- they're all experts in dentistry. Yeah. When they're talking about the kind of me- mechanism the dentist is using for a surgery. Especially Nigel when yeah. he pops in the room. He's like, oh, what's he using? Oh, he's been, he's been favoring that one lately. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the sequences with these fish in the fish tank, even though we're in one location. It's so it's so acceptable because all these little creatures, they're so personable. They have very unique personalities. My bubbles, my bubbles. And, and Jacques with the cleaning. Yeah, I like him cleaning. Like the French, yeah. He's like a yeah. French crab and like he's sparkling clean and shining <laughs> afterwards. So I love all the characters inside the fish tank, and they really make it such a great sequence. Yeah, and they're they're like a little family. It's, it's terrific. And it, but also, Pixar knows really perfectly how to craft like a third act of a movie when because the third act of a movie is when a character should like lose everything and it's when marlin he's in the dentist office with nigel and then he sees nemo nemo's in the little fish bag and he's playing dead so that darla doesn't take him home but marlin thinks nemo's dead for real and that is just devastating to him it's dark yeah it's super it's super tragic and then Nigel brings Dory and Marlon back to the ocean, and at that point, Marlon thinks he has lost everything. And then it brings great stakes out because then Nemo has to try and get back to Marlon before he goes off too far away and gets. And Nemo never finds him again. And I love the the fish tank crew helping Nemo, bursting him out of the fish tank and into the and down that tube. And it's a great conclusion where Nemo not only does he reunite with them, and I think most other movies they might end it there. But to show a huge conflicting situation of Dory getting trapped with the other fish inside that giant net. And Nemo using his newfound confidence and abilities to command that entire family of fish to fight through the fish, fight through the fish, to fight through the fish net and break down the, the boat and escape into safety and freedom. That's something that Marlin would never imagine Nemo could ever be possible to do. Plus the just keep swimming yeah. Dory's lines actually yeah. put to really good use. Yeah, like, yeah. Just keep, keep swimming. swimming. Just, just keep swimming. And they just push. I mean, honestly, the fisherman just had a really bad day too. Yeah. Poor guy, probably tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage. Lost he's got kids entire, to feed. He's got kids to feed. Yeah. You know, he's probably got a divorce and alimony he's paying. <laughs> like poor guy. <laughs> Although he's a villain in the film, you know, the humans are antagonists in this mm-hmm. world, obviously. Yeah. And how about we go over some of our favorite like yeah. moments and, and scenes and stuff. And we'll get more into the story when we do that. What's your favorite shot of the movie? I think my favorite shot is probably when the whale is coming up behind Marlon and Dory. It's actually a really good shot where it's out of focus and then it starts to come in and creep in. But it's also really funny because I love when Dory's like speaking. Well, she's like, oh, oh, oh. And Marlon thinks she's crazy. And she's yeah. like, oh, wait, wait. I got, yeah, you know, he, he hears me. And, and they're so inside funny. the mouth and everything. But I just love when the whale shows up behind them because I think whales are fascinating because they're absolutely impossibly enormous creatures that I feel like, how does that exist? And it's in the ocean. It's very scary if you were next to one, I think, even though they seem to be gentle, but it's just like, though, those things are huge. Yeah. My favorite shot is actually a similar shot. It's the reveal of Bruce, also behind both Marlon and Dory. And I think when, when he swims up to them and then his giant big smile and you see those razor sharp teeth, it's funny and scary simultaneously. It's a terrific shot. It is. What is your favorite scene of the movie? I think this is an easy pick for me. I'm going with the shark NAAA sequence where Mm -hmm. it's great humor because it's kind of like a show like SpongeBob where there's a lot of great 
adult humor in this movie that goes completely over kids' heads. These most kids watching this that are like under ten probably have no idea what this is supposed to like replicate. Yeah, where it's Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, and these sharks are like fish off friends, not, not food. food. They're addicted to blood or they're addicted to eating fish, and like that's why this when as soon as um, Bruce sniffs the blood up his nostril, if do sharks have nostrils? And this this one does. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they right. smell blood. Yeah, yeah. and um, and as soon as he smells it, he's like now on like an an addicted relapse. His eyes go black. He's relapsing. Yeah. He's on like a, a feeding frenzy, and he has to eat all the fish he can at the moment. And the other ones are trying to stop him. It's just like it's it's very funny satire on the on the mm. uh, environment of AA and yeah. NA. Yeah, I actually picked the same scene, uh, the entire sequence, and especially the chase sequence because I think it's a terrific chase. It's super scary. But also funny with the fr- with Bruce's friends trying to stop him. And they're like, he's really a nice guy once you get to know him. <laughs> also with the explosions from the underwater yeah, mines. Excellent, yeah. Really cool. But then like a very tasteful fart joke where yeah. the bubble pops up next to, Ni- <laughs> next to Nigel. And the other the other pelican swims away. He's like, he's like nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the, the showcase, the biggest stop, like huge st- show-stopping moment of the of the movie. I think it's terrific because it blends both comedy and horror together. This movie has moments of like really good scares and fear, especially with the anglerfish. But I think Bruce ch- chasing them is really scary at times. But and I love how one of the French sharks he he accidentally ate he accidentally ate his fish friend. Yeah, and so <laughs> oh, Bruce yeah. Bruce gives him Marlin as the new friend. <laughs> 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 Isn't the other fish like super scared to be there? Yeah, too? yeah she's like this t- tiny green ship that fish that is shivering. <laughs> that he actually runs off when no one, when no one notices. <laughs> I loved it. Next up, who is your favorite character? I'm going Nigel. Nice. I think Nigel's super funny. He's kind of like me. He just talks really fast and like is just constantly bringing up different <laughs> topics. <laughs> great accent by Jeffrey Rush. Yeah. And I think he's just a great character because he's sort of like a leader among the Pelicans or just around the dock. He's like very well respected. And he, he really just has a good heart because the story of, of Nemo missing in the ocean and it's being spread throughout the entire ocean, which is so fascinating and cool and Without Nigel, you know, the reunion probably doesn't happen because he, he saves them from the pelicans on mm-hmm. the docks. And then he's like, get in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and Nemo's like, I mean, Marlon's like, we're not getting in there. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he brings him up to the dentist's office and everything. But I think Nigel's super funny, great leader. And unfortunately for Nigel, at the end of the movie, he doesn't know that Nemo survived. Mm. The last, the last moment of you're Nigel, right. He thinks that like, they, he thinks they failed. He's, he's saying bye to Dory and Marlon, and he's then like, he flies I'm "Sorry, off. your kid's dead, man." And then he flies off. He's <laughs> like, he's gonna live the rest of his life thinking that he failed them. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite character is Bruce the shark. I just love the the idea of a shark that's trying to go off fish, <laughs> and trying to go vegetarian. Yeah, the vegetarian. <laughs> I think it's so funny. It was a genius concept. And I, like I said, it's my favorite sequence of the movie. And I think that it's just like such a standout character. It's really fantastic. Next up, who was your favorite animal portrayed in the movie? Obviously, I think the shark with mm. Bruce is the shark. Because I love sharks and the, the concept, everything you just said. The, mm. the, the teeth. The, 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 yeah. But just the idea of a, a shark that's not going to eat fish anymore. No, no. Just talking about like uh, animal portrayed in terms of like animation 
what it looks like. Oh, yeah, what was your favorite animal? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I'll start. I'll go first. Yeah, you go. Well, I already know my answer. Who's it? I'd probably say the jellyfish. Nice. I think they did a terrific job with the animation, and I think jellyfish are really interesting and beautiful. And also, it's just they contrast how dangerous they are, and so they, I think mm-hmm. they really captured that so well. Beautiful but dangerous. Yeah, love that. I picked the anglerfish because it's super scary and terrifying and funny and weird looking and i love the the glowing light and i think the design of the creature was really fantastic it's like a great movie monster and it's really scary i remember being a kid and being terrified of it i think they did an excellent job and it was smart not to make it translucent i think making it colorful was a great idea for the animation i love the anglerfish in the movie so that's my favorite animal they created Okay, what's the funniest moment of the film? There's so many to pick. Like, I think, like, Bubbles, like, my Bubbles, that's super funny. But honestly, everything that Dory says just (laughs) cracks me the hell up. And, like, the speaking whale is probably one of my favorite parts in general. But, like, Fabio? Fabio Escape. Like, I still quote Escape. Oh, it looks just like Escape. Just, like, to (laughs) to this day. Like, Squishy, it'll be my Squishy, and it'll always be my Squishy. Like, stuff like that. So funny. So I think just everything Dory says. I like, um... Speaking of Dory, I like the moment when we learn that Dory has short-term memory because she's um, she tells Marlon, oh, I saw a boat. It went just that way. And he's like, great. She's like, I'll, I'll lead you there. And then they're swimming, and then Marlon's following her. Then And then Dory, she's swimming straight forward, leading him. And then all of a sudden, we don't know this but yet, but she forgets what she's doing. So then she slows down and starts swimming more, just having fun and enjoying the current. And then she notices Marlon behind her, and she's like, someone's following me. And she's like, keeps looking back, and she's swimming really fast. And then she's like, then she confronts him. He's like, why you follow me? Huh? 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 And it's a zoom in every time you see her face, and she gets closer and closer. It's so funny. I thought it was great. <laughs> What's the scariest moment of the movie? I think Nemo attempting to jam the filter and then almost getting stuck in the tubing is really scary for an audience member. Great pick. They pull him out, but yeah. it's still kind of like nerve-wracking. You're like, what if he doesn't make it out of there? Very good pick. I picked the anglerfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reveal of the anglerfish with this giant teeth just like seething for the for the fresh meal ahead of it. Okay, what's your most underrated aspect of Finding Nemo? It's got to be Thomas Newman's score. It's sensational. It's really beautiful, and it really just brings this movie to another level that I think if you just have an average score or, or an average composer, just it doesn't make it as good as Finding Nemo is, but I think it's one of the greatest strengths of the film. I also picked Thomas Newman's score for wow, all the man. reasons you just said. Wow, man. Yeah, I think it really propels the film into uh, a beautiful and moving experience. That's that's really great, man. Really happy to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, this is great. This is a great movie. It's really fun. I can see why it won our bracket list as the the champion of all animated films, and it deserves all the success it has. It was a genius concept, and they pulled it off beautifully. Tons of great jokes. It even ends with a great joke with yeah. the, uh, the fish in the tank. The, the fish is in the tank that they figure out a way to to shut down that like high tech filter, filter. Yeah. and then they're all putting the plastic bags while the uh, the dentist is going to clean the fish tank and they escape and they're all in the ocean just floating like hey we escaped but they're still inside a little prison <laughs> it's really funny that was a great ending too but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great movie about growth about friendship about like trust trust but and also not being afraid uh, of challenging yourself and trying to see what you're capable of as a person as a human being and it, it's got so many great messages inside of it. and that's what i love about pixar films is that you really learn a lot they have a lot of great life lessons not just for kids but also for adults that's i think a great strength of this movie as well it's it's a great learning lesson for adults as well to not be too overprotective of your kids not hold them back let them fly man i'm a peacock i gotta fly I gotta fly <laughs> gotta let me fly 
but we love this movie. It's so fun. I, again, I was I was surprised it got picked as the number one movie of all t- animated film of all time in our Discord. But hey, man, people like what they like, and I I, I wasn't upset about it. I was like, yeah, sure, I, yeah. I could see that for sure. It's one yeah. of my favorite Pixar. After movies. watching it again, I can be like, okay, I can see why it's so well loved. It's now. definitely in my top five for Pixar movies of all time. I think mm-hmm. those are early Pixar films for me. Just I think obviously growing up with them, it's kind of like who your favorite Doctor Who is is whoever was your first Doctor Who. Like so, obviously Matt Smith for me. But I think for the early Pixar films, I just love them so much. I think they're great stories, and this one is just. They knocked it out of the park, Anthony. They knocked it. They're firing on all cylinders. You got any fun facts and trivia? We went through it all. Yeah, I think we did go pretty much through all yeah. of it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, here's a little one. The dentist's diploma is from Pixar University School of Dentistry. I love that. <laughs> That's funny. All right, well, that wraps our episode on Finding Nemo. Thanks so much for tuning into this one. I'm sure we'll do, we're going to get some more Pixar and animated Pixar, films yeah. done because yeah. we know you all love them so much in their classics. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And thanks for tuning in around the world. Take care, everyone. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast has been executive produced through Patreon thanks to Cody Moen, Calvin Cam, John Agratz, and Lawrence Smertz. Thank you to our producers.